um, we're picking up here again, um, continuing our study through the book of Exodus. Um, it's kind of been an interesting, interesting journey um, as we, we see God work uh, through various circumstances and situations, um, moving his people Israel from captivity in Egypt um, on their way to the promised land and the various uh, bumps and uh, snags they hit along the way and seeing God um, use that to glorify himself and um, to grow the faith of his people. Um, I was talking uh, before the sermon briefly with uh, Gary was giving me a little bit of a hard time. Um, the, the last sermon I had given a few weeks ago, it seemed like uh, was primarily about livestock um, as I was going over a lot of the, the various laws given for um, interactions with, with uh, livestock and work animals and things like that for the people of Israel. And so um, this one hopefully will be a little bit more engaging, but um, we're moving from livestock to teaching about building materials. So I wouldn't set your expectations too high tonight. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, we're going to be going over the instructions God gave Moses for building the tabernacle um, in Exodus chapters 25 through 27. This is a span of scripture covering nearly a hundred verses, um, laying out in detail how these objects were to be constructed. So before we begin, um, we're going to look a little bit at the context of the passage, however. In this segment of Exodus, Israel is still encamped at Mount Sinai, um, where they've been for some time now. Um, they've been su successfully delivered from captivity in Egypt. They've experienced success in battle and seen God confirm his promised faithfulness to them and also confirm Moses and his role as their leader. Uh, both of these were emphasized through miraculous works that the nation got to see. Uh, God made his presence and power visibly known in the pillar of cloud and of fire, and also through thunder, lightning, and earthquakes on Mount Sinai uh, as he was preparing to give them the law. Um, we continue on. We saw in Exodus chapter 19, God lays out the requirements for his covenant with the nation of Israel, um, that their obedience would ensure blessing and favor from God as they dwell in the land that he was giving them. Um, so just to recap briefly, um, Going through this, uh, Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 and 5 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And so that was kind of the, the key point summarizing the covenant God was making with his people Israel, that if they would obey, um, they would be blessed. They would be God's chosen people dwelling in the land. Uh, so continuing on from there, in chapter 20, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, these defining rules of the covenant that would guide their conduct as a nation and reveal God's character to Israel and to all those around them. Chapters 21 through 23 record laws given to guide Israel in their conduct in everyday life, showing them how to be set apart from the nations and how to glorify God by their conduct in various situations that would arise throughout their everyday lives. And then last week in chapter 24, Tom covered the ceremonies confirming this covenant between God and Israel. The nation of Israel promised that all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do, um, in 24 verse 3. 
the people were sprinkled with blood as part of the ceremony, and the 70 elders of Israel, along with Moses and the other leaders, ate a sacred meal in the presence of God to inaugurate this covenant agreement. And so this is the situation where we find Israel this evening. The very presence and glory of God is resting on top of Mount Sinai in the form of fire and a cloud. Moses, their leader, has gone up into the cloud, straight into this terrifying and awe-inspiring display of might in order that he might receive further instruction from the Lord. As we read through these chapters, a number of things are going to stand out uh, that we can observe. First, that uh, God commanded the tabernacle and its furnishings to be built to exact specifications for materials that were donated by the people out of what God had provided them with. This was done so that God would have a dwelling place among the people of Israel and so that they would have means to atone for sin, equipment for priests to sacrifice and intercede on their behalf, and a place that God would speak to their leader. The tabernacle was also constructed to give them a glimpse of the heavenly throne room of God and to draw attention to his power, majesty, and holiness. These items and routines at this point, were necessary for a holy God to dwell among sinful people and for them to live the way that God desired for them. The tabernacle was integral to their faith and their life under the rule of the Old Covenant. Considering these truths, we can also learn some things about God. Chiefly, that God desires to live among his people, but his absolute holiness requires that strict measures be taken for that to happen. And due to the nature of this passage tonight and the amount of scripture we're trying to cover, uh, we're going to summarize some things and look at a few key verses rather than reading straight through the entire passage. I don't know if anyone wants to to sit through me reading all of this. Um, So we're going to try to kind of hit the key points, um, touch on some things, and and summarize uh, the importance of it. So we're going to start off uh, in Exodus chapter 25. In the first few verses here, say, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting spices, for the, fra- for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. So there's a few key points worth noting in those verses we just went over. Verse 2 tells us that the tabernacle and its associated furnishings were to be built from materials donated by the people. These valuable materials were probably gained by Israel's improbable plundering of Egypt that we saw in chapter 12. Um, God had provided for Israel um, through gifts from the Egyptians, essentially, Um, and now is providing them with an opportunity to voluntarily give back to his work out of these things. 
Uh, we also see in verse 8 that the purpose for all of this was to build a sanctuary so that God could be with them. God is holy. God is perfect. God required a holy, set-apart place among his people so that he could be with them. In verse 9, the Israelites were reminded that much as with the law, they were to follow God's instructions exactly, just as they were told they would build. A reminder that God is a God of order, that he means what he says, and that his instructions must be followed precisely. A reminder that he is holy, and his dwelling place must also be holy. And so the first thing that he covers in these directions is the construction of the ark. Um, so picking up in chapter 25, verse 10, it says, They shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. So it goes on after that to describe um, some more of the construction of the ark, um, how it was to be made and that it was to be carried on poles um, so that they wouldn't be touching, coming in direct contact with the ark, um, and that it would be filled with the testimony from God that he would give them. Uh, we find out um, in the book of Hebrews, this consisted of the tablets with the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff. Uh, that was budded and another miraculous sign of God's choosing of his leaders. Uh, 25 verse 17 describes uh, what's called the mercy seat. It says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold, make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. And so again, it goes on to describe in further detail um, how the mercy seat, essentially this lid for the ark, was to be made. That it was to be made of pure gold um, with these two cherubim, these two angels formed as part of it. Um, so we've got some illustrations up here. Um, all these, these pictures uh, we're going to be showing here tonight, these are artist approximations of what this may have looked like. Um, this is Certainly not exactly what we know, um, but it does give you an idea of kind of the, the size and the, the general look of what some of these things would have been like. Um, and so in going on to describe further the role of the mercy seat, the lid of the ark, in chapter 25, verse 22, God says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. And so we see that the ark is going to fill a very prominent role in the life of Israel for nearly 1,000 years, being carried into battle with the nation um, and also serving as a type of earthly throne from which God would speak within the tabernacle. Um, this would be a place where God would make himself known, would give instructions and commandments to Moses, their leader. Obviously, a, a very important, very sacred object and a sacred place for them. The next object described is the table for the bread of the presence. Um, and so we look at uh, chapter 25, picking up in verse 23, it says, you shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and one cubit wide, 
and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. The table was constructed in a very similar fashion to the ark, um, as we can see there. Um, there's, there's a distinct resemblance. Uh, made of acacia wood covered with gold and carried between two poles with gold accessories for the different um, things they would be doing with it. Uh, verse t- or chapter 25, verse 30, says that you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Um, so we see here that the table was used to hold the ceremonial bread of the presence. Uh, this bread was baked fresh and set before God weekly and eaten by the priests um, after it was replaced. Um, this was kind of part of the, the ceremony that they were to set this in the tabernacle before God. Um, we see that further explained in Leviticus chapter 24. Um, I'm sure we'll be getting into that before too long here, so I won't go into detail. But uh, The next object constructed is the lampstand. Um, so this one, you read the description of it, it's a little hard to visualize. Um, so picking up in chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, it says, Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shaft are to be made of hammered works. Its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Six branches shall go out from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from its one side, and three branches of the lampstand from its other side. So it was made of pure gold, had seven lamps on it, um, all the ornamentation was to be integral to the, the construction, just one solid piece of gold. Um, interestingly enough, this picture here um, is actually from Jerusalem. Um, I just pulled this one off the internet. But um, there's a, a lampstand that they built there inside a, a heavy-duty glass case overlooking the western wall. Um, so this was actually built from the exact specifications given in the Bible um, by a group in hopes of having a temple rebuilt and being able to use these things again um, in carrying out these, these ceremonies. Um, so that's, um, again, built to the best understanding they have of what that would have looked like. So kind of a, a cool picture there to look at. So we've got um, kind of some of the key furnishings here, the ark, the table for the bread of the presence, uh, the lampstand to illuminate uh, the, the tabernacle at night. Um, then we move into the tabernacle itself. Um, so the tabernacle uh, consisted of curtains made of blue, purple, and scarlet material with images of angels worked into them They were joined by loops and gold clasps. Um, So we see some more detail described in chapter 26 on that, um, discussing just the the way the curtains were to be made, um, how they were to look, how they would be connected. Um, And then chapter 26, verse 7, says, You shall make a curtain of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains in all. Um, and so it goes on to explain um, how this was to be made. Um, multiple layers. You can kind of see um, some of the cutaway on this illustration here. Um, there's a couple different layers of fabric there, um, just kind of beefing up the construction of it, uh, making it sturdier, protecting um, probably the, the more vulnerable um, materials with something a little, little sturdier um, outside of that. 
Um, it's interesting to, to look at verse 7, um, making curtains of goat's hair. Um, I can only imagine that the Mount Sinai Walmart must have had an interesting assortment of uh, curtains and materials to work with. Uh, I can't recall the last time I saw that. But um, These curtains were covered with another layer of ram skin dyed red and porpoise skins. Um, so just, again, another layer, um, kind of protecting that from the elements, protecting those other things, um, and, and making it a little sturdier. The frame of the tabernacle was to be constructed of wooden posts or boards with silver bases holding them up and then crossbars made of wood. All the crossbars and the posts were to be overlaid with gold. Um, just, again, to protect them, um, to remind everyone that this is a holy place, this is a special place, that all of these materials are valuable, expensive, um, alluding to the importance of it. A key part of the tabernacle, um, one that is worth noting and considering for us today, is the veil. Uh, chapter 26 uh, picking up in verse 31, it says, You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang on it four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. And so we see the tabernacle itself being divided into two main sections. Uh, the larger part known as the holy place and then the smaller part towards the back, the holy of holies. And this, this holy place that God was to dwell um, was so holy, so set apart that it had to be even divided from the other area where the, the rest of the, the furniture of the Ark was kept, that the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God was so perfectly holy, it must be divided off from the rest of it. Uh, the veil was secured in the same manner as the walls and curtains of the tabernacle. Um, and again, this required separation from even the regular holy place. Uh, the next item they they're given instructions for is the altar. The altar was similar to the construction of both the ark and the table. Um, was made of wood, but instead of being overlaid with gold, it was overlaid with bronze and included bronze tools um, and accessories to be used in the sacrifices of animals with it. Uh, we can also observe kind of a common theme going through all this stuff that all these items were designed to be easily transported during Israel's passage from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. Um, God knew that they were going to be wandering. Um, he knew they were going to be needing to break these things down, carry them, and set them up again. Um, and so they were designed to do that. Uh, chapter 27, verse 8 says, You shall make it hollow, speaking of the altar, with planks, as it was shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. And we see this reminder pop up several times throughout this passage. Um, as it was shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. Just God reminding his people that they needed to follow these directions explicitly, that he was giving very specific instructions on how this was to be done and expected them to be followed. 
because these items were, again, uh, meant to reflect God's holiness and to be used in worship of him. That a holy God required um, well-built things. He required them to follow the directions explicitly. We also see that the tabernacle was to have an outer court or a fence-like area surrounding it. Um, That inside was the Holy of Holies, next to that the holy place. Uh, Outside of that, kind of an outer courtyard, kind of creating a further divider, reminding everyone that this was a very special set-apart place. Uh, We see at the end of chapter 27, also God gives them instructions for the oil that they were to use within the lamp. Um, In in chapter 27, uh, starting in verse 20, he says, You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. In the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel. Um, So we see, again, very specific instructions given. um, They were to use a certain kind of oil, one that would burn cleanly um, and enable them to light the tabernacle. It was to be kept lit um, all night, to, yeah, keep, keep things going there. Um, we also see uh, the end of this, the command to keep it as a perpetual statute. This command emphasizes the lasting importance of it, that this was not something um, God wanted them to do flippantly, that it was not um, something that was meant to be um, just a brief moment, but this was going to be a long ordeal, something that they were to follow and keep keep going for an extended period of time. So that's kind of our, our quick kind of thousand foot flyover of the construction of the tabernacle and the accessories of it. Um, it's a lot of information to take in in a short amount of time. Um, so now let's take a moment to step back and consider the big picture of all this. The tabernacle was designed to reflect the heavenly throne room of God. This was a place for God's presence to be known, for atonement for sin to be made, and for God to speak to the leaders of his people. If you've been watching Sean's uh, Revelation sermons in these past few weeks, um, you've heard some of the visions of heaven that John gives in the book of Revelation. Uh, The tabernacle really follows a lot of the same idea. We can see a lot of the same concepts within it. Um, that it was something to draw man's attention to the power, majesty, and holiness of God. Um, that it certainly could not match the, the awesomeness of the heavenly throne room. But it was just to give them a glimpse into what that might be like as they go into the presence of God. The specific directions and requirements given for the tabernacle, for sacrifices, and for obedience should also point us to some things within the character of God. We can see that God desires to live among his people, but because he is absolutely holy, this requires strict measures be taken in order for him to dwell with sinful man. For us here today, we can take heart in the fact that God still desires to live among his people. And because God is unchanging, it still requires 
that strict measurements be taken in order for that to happen. But now, the difference is that we're under the rule of the new covenant, that God himself has met these requirements, allowing us to be with him. The tabernacle, the laws, and the sacrificial system were necessary components of life and obedience that Israel was required to adhere to under the Mosaic or the Old Covenant. We see emphasis placed on God's holiness, his need for separation from the common, and the requirement for obedience in order to preserve the covenant blessing. All of these things were meant to point forward to their coming Redeemer, to the one who would finally deal with sin and unite mankind with a holy God. The book of Hebrews directly addresses many of the questions brought up in our study of the Old Testament law. Uh, Hebrews ties in a lot of the concepts of the Old Covenant of the law and tells us what the significance of that is after the coming of Christ. Uh, So if we look at Hebrews chapter 10, I think is one of the, the key segments that ties in with what we're talking about here tonight. So in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we're going to start in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so we see that under the old covenant, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. Christ tore the veil of separation through his death, giving us direct access to God. In Christ, we can have confidence to come before an infinite holy God, knowing that we are holy, not because of what we have done, not based on rituals or sacrifices, but because of the work of his son on our behalf. And as we read through these passages in the Old Testament, we can see that the majesty of the tabernacle and subsequently the temple should remind us of what a tremendous privilege it is to have the spirit of God himself making his home within us. This closeness with God is something that um, I had a a seminary professor tell me once would have seemed unthinkable or even scandalous to the followers of God in the Old Testament, that we can have this kind of intimacy with God, the God who must be separated by multiple layers, by the veil, that could only have one person into, into his presence once a year, that we can have such intimacy with this holy God because of the sacrifice of Christ. And so as we go from here tonight, let's praise God for his majesty, for his power, and for his holiness. And let's praise him especially for his mercy, that he has made a way for us to be with him forever. So thank God for that. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord God, um, for 
your holiness, Lord, um, that you are a good God, that you are a perfect God, that you are absolute in all of these things, Lord. I thank you that um, in this, that you are merciful, that you are loving, God, that you have found a way, that you made a way to be both a just God and the justifier of those who seek you, Lord. That through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, we can be made clean from our sins, Lord, that we can stand before you righteous and holy, not because of anything we've done, but only because of the work of your Son, Lord. I pray that you would be with us um, as we go through life, Lord, that we would never cease to be awed by that fact. I pray that um, in every day of our lives, Lord, that we would live with this in mind, knowing that um, you have redeemed us, Lord, and that we would live unto your glory because of it. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.